This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Walkheaders? Hope you guys are holding it down. We really missed y'all. It's been a hell of a quarantine, and we've just been busy turning out new content. You might have seen that we dropped a new video on our YouTube titled The Rise and Fall of Occidental Petroleum. It's kind of like a mini documentary style. It's a completely new format for us, but something that we're really excited about. And so far, the reception from you guys has been pretty great. So if you haven't seen that, go check it out on our YouTube. Click that subscribe button to stay tuned for more content just like that. In addition, we've got so many more big things that we can't wait to share with you guys. One of those being uh, we actually launched merch on our website. kind of started off as a joke. Uh, so if you go to the merch section on digitalwildcatters.com, you'll see we've got these bro pack hats. Kind of start off as an inside joke uh, from our Wildcatters Live show on Thursdays at 6 p.m., which if you haven't seen, tune into that. We also have some free cash flow joggers. Uh, so they're joggers, and they say free cash flow right down the side uh, about a million times. And so we surprisingly have sold a ton of those. So go check those out if you want to pick some up. This week we had on Don Herman and William Go over at Cordax which was funny because Don had actually never listened to a podcast in his life, and yet here we are actually having him on a show. But he was a natural. Uh, we talked about how they're disrupting the open hole logging space with their logging while tripping technology. This was all new information to me, so I thought it was really cool. Really quickly, before we get into the show, I've complained for a long time that the oil field isn't as digital as it should be in 2020 as compared to other industries. But as an industry, we're making great strides. But with increased digitization of the business comes the increased security risk of having a more digitally connected infrastructure. One of the more notable data breaches was in 2012, when one of the largest oil and gas companies in the world suffered an expansive cyber attack that compromised tens of thousands of computers. If you don't have a strong cybersecurity plan, this could unfortunately happen to your organization as well. Now, SecurityGate makes this process easier by replacing traditional spreadsheet-based methods with a cloud-based SaaS tool that guides you through the process. It'll allow you to quickly automate the sending of questionnaires and collecting responses to effectively help map risk and generate a remediation plan. From there, it'll allow you to constantly monitor risk and stay ahead of any cybersecurity threats. Reach out to the guys over at SecurityGate to learn more about how they can help. Just click the link in the show notes. What's going on, Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. We're still hunkering down from coronavirus. I don't know when this episode goes out. I don't know if, if we're all going to be dead from the zombie apocalypse or if yeah, we're all going to Houston Rodeo. realize that this was blown way out of proportion. Houston Rodeo just got closed down today. They uh, stopped it, and then I saw that coronavirus is actually on an offshore rig in the North Sea. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, a Norway. that's a bad time being stuck on an offshore shut rig down the North Sea. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. But that's rough. Anyways, today on the show we got Don and William with Cordex. What's going on, guys? Great to be here. Just having a having the time of my life. Yeah, having the time of your life, man. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so we have we have to give an honorable mention to to William. This is his second time on the yeah, show. We, got, we always yeah. got we Thanks, got guys. we got repeat people coming. I guess that's what happens as when people you, change careers. They bring. Well, the I, new guess, back. I guess. I guess definition of entrepreneur. There you go. When you're a podcast long enough, I mean, like one of our early worries when we started the podcast is, are we gonna have enough people to talk to? And then I guess you just kind of stick too around. Many, too yeah. many people to talk to. Too many people to talk to now. So, anyways, guys, uh, Don, I'll let you take the lead and give us a little definition on what Cordax is. What are you guys? What are you guys doing? So, simply put, Cordax has taken a hundred-year-old business, 
redefined it and started it over again. And we do well logging. Swimmer J Brothers started that in the 20s, 1920s. Yeah. And it, it's been a staple and a standard in the industry. Um, 10, 12, 14 years ago, every well turned from vertical to sideways. Mm-hmm. Gravity didn't work anymore. Wireline quit working. Um, and we have a whole 15 year generation of folks that don't even know what well logs are. Yeah. And now we're kind of re, uh, rebooting that whole environment where we have a system that can cost effectively risk-free get data um in lateral wells vertical wells but focus primarily on the laterals so So, so let's let's talk about this a little bit because there may be a big portion of our audience that's not familiar with wireline or logging so you give us a quick dip into history slumber j brothers they create wireline in the 20s and then you know we do i mean there's all types of activities that come off wireline right you know I'm a former wireline ham myself, so okay, I'm very good. familiar. You know, you do through tubing, you do stage work for frag jobs, you can do logging, and then within logging, you have all types of different logs. So you mentioned a good point talking about going, you know, when we start drilling these horizontal wells, you said that wireline logging didn't work. Gravity didn't, you know, cooperate with friend. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, the reason for this, obviously, is because as you're going on to the lateral section, you just, you you have nothing to, to bring you down, right? And so Correct. you either have to have open perforations where you can pump down the tools, but if you're drilling a well, you know, you may not be able to do this. So Cordex, what are you guys doing that is that it has changed the way that we log wells and that's a new technique? Well, I probably have two answers to that topic. One is why log? I mean, what, what's the point? And seems like fewer and fewer people are logging. Less than 1%. Yeah, it's really? it's almost been a vanishing beast. And, and primarily it's because of cost and risk. Mm. The thing that we solved was the cost and risk part of the equation. But you go, you go back one step to why, why bother? And if you look for since the beginning of time in this industry, it's really simple. The reasons you get data on the environment inside the well bore is one to understand the geology because if you've ever gone walked down the Colorado River in the Grand Canyon you looked up and it's not all the same and, and it's the same in shale plays it's the same in conventional plays you have geological issues you got carbonate streaks you got limestone porosity here no porosity there just the way God put it all down um so understanding the geology and how do you best complete the well? How do you minimize your completion costs? How do you maximize your production? And if you look at the last 10, 12, 15 years, we quit logging and everybody, the, the, the terminology I love is the manufacturing model where you yeah. just drill you know, dozens and hundreds of wells and they're all the same. And... Your production on a given pad can go from, particularly in the unconventionals, you know, from a couple hundred barrels a day to a couple thousand barrels a day, and nobody knows why either happened. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and now we've kind of gotten to a point where, particularly the last couple of days, um, you know, cost is a huge factor. And 
you know, price of oil, you know, obviously dropped 30% yesterday, so hasn't been a great week. But if you look at the net-net, if you understand what's going on in the well bore, and if you can incrementally reduce completion costs 5%, 2%, you know, 1%, you know, completions are $4.5 million each. Mm-hmm. So if, if by spending a little bit, you can save double that, you got positive ROI, why not? And if you can get better cluster effectiveness and more production, the other thing facing this factory model is the really steep declines on these unconventional wells that, you know, they'll come in at 2,000 barrels a day and 75 days later they're at 300 and they hope it stays. Yeah. So you have to just keep drilling, you know, keep, keep pumping it out and, if you can extend the life or get more production for the same amount of money, why not? And that's what we do. So you guys said an interesting thing. Did you say it was less than one percent of wells are being logged now? Well, well, that that's just a, like is that roughly? That, I mean, obviously, that's a not. statistic I created. And, <laughs> oh, okay. But but that being said, I've given our company presentation several hundred times, and I quote that statistic. And everybody in every room going, oh, it's probably less than that. You're being conservative. So I've kind of validated my assumption. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit because when you talk about logging the well, we're talking about the lateral section. I mean, these guys still have well, uh, I mean, they have bond logs and everything for the vertical, I'm assuming, but they're just not doing open hole logging of the lateral section. Is that, is that correct? It's evolving. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because when we really introduced the system, it was the first time you could cost-effectively, safely get logs in the horizontal. But as it, And that's what we do probably, I'd say, 80% of our revenue. But the other 20%, which is actually growing, is as a wireline replacement, even in the, the curve section and the verticals, that, you know, when you... Drill the well, got to pull out, got to rig up shiv wheels, got to rig up wireline, drop the tools, come out logging. That takes, you know, a day of rig time, maybe more. Yeah. And we, our, our tools live inside of collars right above the bit. So you drill the well with our collars, and literally we just drop the tools. Okay. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about this and break it down into yeah. layman's terms. So if you're not familiar with the, uh, drilling and completion process, you drill the well and then you have to trip pipe. Trip pipe means you bring the drill string out of the hole. And like you said, you got to bring your wireline crew out. They got to spend their time rigging up, you know, get their shiv wheels hung and then they got to run down hole. I mean, that's uh, I mean, open hole logging is a, a long process. Um, I did case hole, so I'm not familiar with how long open hole is. Yeah, but I know sometimes it takes. you'll have to condition the hole, you know? Yeah. So, days so, and, so you got to condition, yeah. you know, you got to circulate, make sure that the well bore is clean. Then you go down there, pull out. So you're looking at a long time, rig time. Y'all solution, you're you you have something in the uh, uh, BHA right you know right at the collars, and then when you get down to TD, you're dropping uh, you're dropping your tool down to activate it, mm-hmm. and then you start logging. So I'm assuming this is battery operated tool. It is data to memory. Okay, and so how what are you are you pumping a ball? What are you actually pumping down down or a dart so, or what is it? So literally, if you you know wireline a little bit, yeah. So if you look at 
historically wireline tools, you have a housing, mm -hmm. you have electronics inside the housing that is calibrated in a master calibration tank, you know, aluminum, magnesium, cement, all that stuff. We do the same thing, only we have a two inch OD electronics and our housing is actually a collar that, mm. that lives in the drill string. Gotcha. So if you look at it, you got bit, motors, monels, whatever you have, right above your drilling BHA is our collars. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's another jointed drill pipe, but our electronics are calibrated to our collars. Gotcha. So drill the well. And like you had mentioned, in normal vernacular, you're going to pull that out and go back in with wireline. For us, we, we literally, and the guys, we all that run the company are all ex-Somberge wireline guys. Okay. And we kind of pride ourselves on being the guys that killed wireline. And, uh, <laughs> so you don't have to do that anymore. You literally rig up the tools at the drill, top of the drill pipe and you drop them. It's a missile flies down there's a ring at the top of our collars mm -hmm. there's a mechanism at the top of the tool pump it out it seats and then you have to trip your drill pipe out anyway yeah so you're it's called logging while tripping yeah so, so it just get, sits in that housing and then i'm sure your trip time is slower than just pulling pipe you know freely i'm sure you guys have to a, go a little bit a slower. little bit i mean it, it's company operator dependent mm -hmm. we pull it Typical wireline logging speeds, 1,800 feet an hour. And some people pull faster than that. Some people pull slower. Come on, Don. You know, you can't just tell a driller, just pull whatever you want to pull. You know, a driller is just going to yeah. just no. haul no. ass out of the hole. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we we tell them log. they can haul ass as soon as they get the logging done. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the... Um, you know, let's talk about how Cordex came to be. Actually, okay. you know, let's talk about uh, your background. You said that all of you guys had um, previous wireline experience from Slumberjay. And so it's kind of funny that, you know, you're kind of biting the hand that uh, fed you, right? You cut your teeth in the wireline. You saw, hey, there's got to be a better way to do this. It's not efficient. Um, and then, you know, you guys have a solution for it. So how did Cordex come to be? So the company actually started out as a company called Datalog. As a Canadian company based in Calgary, you know, for years, mud logging, some uh, heavy oil stuff, wireline, uh, mineral logging in Canada. And they actually started this whole concept of, you know, putting a collar inside a drill pipe and logging inside a drill pipe. And the reasons you do it, one is the efficiency, and two is safety, is that the only other options that exist are tools that go through the drill pipe and are in the open hall. Mm -hmm. We're just like wireline. We have radioactive sources. And if you plant, you know, a cesium source in an open hall, you pink cement it and lose the well. Yeah. And we have kind of eliminated that risk profile. So our tools never leave drill pipe. Will you explain real quick why you guys use a radiation source? What's, what's the point of that when you're logging? Well, it, it's into the physics of how do you evaluate um, the geology? You know, mm -hmm. How do you evaluate porosity? How do you evaluate permeability? And we have a neutron device and a density device. So we have two different nuclear sources that they bombard, bar, bombard the formation and signals come back. And yeah. from that, you know, simply put, you can determine what's the formation density and what's the porosity. 
Awesome. And I also think you should mention the resistivity too. Yeah, and we do resistivity, yeah. so we can do a full-blown open hole formation analysis. So we provide an answer product with water saturations, permeabilities, rock types, matrix analysis, um, everything you need to do a geologic evaluation. So for 20 years, Datalog was a standalone independent company. Um, started to try to um, capture the U.S. business in late 12, early 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, moved in, did some work in the Bakken, ended up establishing a base, an operational base in Oklahoma City. And then most of us remember 2014, and mm-hmm. that was followed by 15, and hopefully 20 is not followed by 21. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a really bad time. Yeah. And at the time, Datalog was owned by a single entrepreneurial investor kind of reeled everything back into Canada and decided to explore options. Um, enter our chairman and my two partners um, put together an investor team and bought the company. And January 1st of 16, rebranded as Cordex, and uh, and we started over again. So it was a restart. So how did you get drug into? Cordax. Did you know the other partners beforehand at Schlumberger, or how did that come to be? Well, the the the, the Schlumberger alumni mafia is, is quite strong. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a real thing, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a real thing. I, I mean, I worked overseas a lot, but I was always based in the U.S. Uh-huh. My partners started overseas and ultimately migrated to the U.S. And we all knew each other through, you know, our friends. Yeah, and uh, we got together in '16, and um, my history with Schlumberger and life has been predominantly in sales and business development, mostly in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So they brought me on board to kind of rebuild the U.S. business. So you said before we got on the mic that you started at Schlumberger right out of college, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and then you said some other interesting things about your story, which is, I think is important to kind of dive into. So, what did you do after Schlumberger? So I joined Schlumberger out of college. First 15 years of my career was bouncing all over the place with them. It was kind of the 15 an- years, a long time. The annual relocation policy. Yeah, and, yeah. And I loved it. I, uh, it, it was great for me. Um, moved to California, mid What part of California? Bay Area. Okay. Um, Schlumberger had years ago, early 80s, um, acquired Fairchild Semiconductor which, you know, sorry, Ewan, but it was uh, not one of the big success stories. Mm-hmm. Um, sold the semiconductor business, but kept a test equipment business. And mid-90s, they decided they wanted to divest everything. So I was part of the team that was sent to California to, to sell it. And long story, not needed to go over right now, but ended up deciding to, to stay. Mm. in California. Um, there wasn't anything left at Schlumberger, so I uh, I left and got into the semiconductor business. I was CEO of a startup semiconductor company that we sold at the end of 99, right before the dot-com crash. So Ooh, that's good timing right timing there. Timing was good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't life-changing, but it was life-enhancing. Um, then I... Um, Connected with a handful of buddies from various technology companies in the Bay Area. We started our own 
startup venture capital group and did that for about 10 years. Oh, wow. What were you guys investing in? It was all early stage startups. And at the time it was, um, all the 802.11 beginnings of the wireless universe were, Mm -hmm. were starting. So we did a bunch of, uh, wireless chip investments that turned out really good. Mm. Um, Broadcom and Qualcomm were our friends. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> they acquired most of them, so that was fun. And then got into more, you know, just the beginnings of the cloud systems and stuff like that. Um, then, you know, 2008 hit, and that part of the world ended, and um, ended up coming back to Texas and got back into the oil business. It's interesting. You have to be one of the few people who's gone from oil to the Bay Area done the whole founder thing, done the whole VC thing, and then say, fuck it, you know what, I'm going back to oil. (laughs) (laughs) And then as of, like you just mentioned, as of two days ago, the sky is falling uh, here in oil. And so you're just a glutton for punishment, huh? Well, no, it was was, uh, a really good opportunity that, again, the history of the Schlumberger Mafia, um, one of my old roommates was now, fast forward, he was CEO of Throughbit, and when Thruvit was funded by Shell Technology mm-hmm. Ventures, he brought me on board to build the Permian business. So I just I left San Jose and came back to Midland, Texas, and that was a shock. <laughs> yeah. What did Thruvit do? It was the first um, really logging technology in horizontal wells. Okay. So it's, it's kind of what we do now at Cordex is really the you know, the disruption to take it to the next level. I can comment on through it too. When I was at my first company uh, unit, um, you know, we always had tight holes. Uh, we needed a solution and through bit was the first one that could get you down to TD. And then once you were down, your tools would pop out of the bottom of the bit and would record wireline as you tripped out, mm. but you're still exposed to the, the elements. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sources are below the mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. And I always use the analogy of a 250 foot long strand of spaghetti sitting below 800,000 pounds of steel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that would actually pop through the bit. You'd be exposed right. to open hole. Correct. And then you guys should take it to the next level by having it in a housing in the drill string. So it's yeah, actually pretty That's really what we do is, is efficiency. So days of rig time savings and security. How did how did Throughbit work? I mean, did it run off of Wireline, or did you well, drop it? It, it was it, a hybrid, so yeah. it was actually deployed with Wireline. Okay. So you're connected to Wireline. You pump the tools out of the lateral, mm-hmm. and it had literally had their own bit with a hole in it, with a place the tools could land. And once the tools landed, you the engineer would send a signal down and release the wire yeah and then they'd have to pull all the wire out trip the wire out rig down get out of the way so this whole process one it was a dedicated pipe run yeah so it added a couple days of rig time that's what i'm saying i mean if you're using their bid Mm -hmm. it's a dedicated pipe run to get that bit down there Mm -hmm. and then you have to rig up wire line run wire line pump the tool off pull so it doesn't save you any time really correct so when you factor in the rig time and all the operational stuff, you know, the cost of acquiring open hole data 
when you add it all up together is half a million bucks Mm -hmm. and on a land well you know that's that's significant when you add in risk too yeah and we do it for less than 20 percent of that so interesting so what are you guys seeing you know you talked about kind of the manufacturing process Mm -hmm. of shale and i would assume that if you're drilling you know an eight million dollar well bore you would log it just because it seems like that would make sense regardless if it's in shale or not because like you said i mean you can have a well that does 200 barrels you have a well that does 3,000 barrels what's the difference there has to be a difference there right they're they're not all the same so is this something that i mean our companies kind of going back to logging um to get as much information as they can about their well bore or what are you what are y'all seeing well prior to yesterday <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> we had to we had to you know so much change you know recording this podcast we're, we're still here in this week of the, the oil crashes so yeah lots of things change for people coming on the podcast this week but but at the end of the day if you, if you look at you know the last three years if i were to say three years ago you look at the really big factory operators particularly in the Permian they weren't acquiring any log data mm-hmm. it was drill it as fast as you can frack as much as you can and move on to the next one so you know all the different um, disciplines within the operators you know drilling is you know they're compensated on go fast repeat mm-hmm. and uh and, and, uh, and what's happened, and we're seeing more and more of it, and if you look at how many wells we've logged over the last three years as it's grown year over year, I mean, it's, it's not a huge number, but it's grown 30 to 50% every year. Yeah. And, I mean, if you go from, you know, 20 to 30, you know, that's a big growth for us. It doesn't make a dent in the entire industry, but what's happening is investors now, you know, they're at the the end of the investment curve where they put in a lot of money over the last 10 years, and now it's time to get some money back. And particularly with the public companies, you know, they're, you know, they get up there quarter after quarter and, you know, they're looking at production declines, um, decline curves which is the most alarming thing Mm -hmm. that it just goes way faster and and if you look at the big companies you know their stated goals are they're going to increase permian production you know on the magnitude of a couple hundred percent over the next three or four years and if wells are declining how do you bridge that gap well one you acquire it two you get better at it and, and we're starting to see a lot of people going, hmm, well, maybe maybe I can just shift things around a little bit and get a better well. Mm-hmm. And that's we're starting to see more and more of that. It's, would you say it's accurate to say, I mean, you kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier, but would you say that, especially over the past 10 years with the show revolution, that geology has kind of fallen to the wayside and that it has become essentially not important in some people's minds, but... From if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying that that could be a big part of the reason as to why these wells are just been complete bust. Well, it, it, I'll answer that a couple of different ways, and you know, everybody, and this is just my own little pet <laughs> pet opinion, but it's everybody's into this whole big data thing. 
mm-hmm. and into artificial intelligence and into mapping and into all this this great stuff to do with data and the the trend has been getting less data so if you and and I have this talk all the time with geologists and if you look at a lot of these big areas in the Permian you might say you Jake's oil company has 40,000 acres and and it's this giant you know wolf camp horizontal play you've got every target zone in there and you've drilled four pilot wells on each corner of this 40,000 acres and without getting any horizontal data you're inferring you know across many miles what that reservoir looks like mm-hmm. and it and every operator has geologists, every operator has petrophysicists, and they get asked by management all the time, you know, what do we got? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I, can, I, can draw, I can draw a 3D model, but you're not really calibrating it to anything. So, mm-hmm. you know, our, our goal, my goal, is that, you know, at the cost point we're at, we could log every well again, just like they used to. But we don't have to even log every one. It's log one or two per pad and really understand what this model looks like. And and that it's starting to go that direction. Yeah, I mean, if you just log one well per pad, you know, say if a five-well pad, I mean, if you're to log one or two, you're going to get a good indicator or an idea of the entire geology for that pad, right? Right, right. And, and the thing on completions is... You know, the basic premise is, you know, typical two-mile lateral, you've got 50, 60 stages. And if you just do it geometrically, you have no idea what's happening with the compressive stress within a given stage. And if you have the data, you can look at it and say, well, do you really want to frack that stage with a 2,000-pound differential in six clusters? And you know, one of them is going to go off and the other five are going to be untreated. Mm-hmm. You know, why not just move it around a little bit and and make your completion match the geology? Yes. Yeah. It, it's a simple concept. It's one that, you know, is uh, is my biggest challenge to people <laughs> to, yeah. to, to well, understand that and, and agree with it. So coming from your background, I mean... You're in oil and gas, you go Silicon Valley, you come back to oil and gas. So you've seen anything and everything in between um, technology. What do you think of what's happening to the industry in terms of technology? Um, you know, as far as adoption, you know, you mentioned big data. Everyone's talking about big data. You know, what are kind of your general thoughts on on the industry? Is Is it progressing? in terms of the adoption of new technologies. Um, you know, obviously we're getting into this, um, super low price environment and commodity prices. So operators have to look at ways to become more efficient. You know, what, what are you thinking from your personal experience on everything that's happening? I'm only hesitating because how do I word this? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think, you know, as an industry, you know, we've had a lot of, and we, we always talk inside of Cordex, we always talk about, you know, disruptions and what causes dramatic changes in technology. And we're kind of at that point, and there's a lot of people 
trying a lot of different things. Um, there was the last two or three years, and I only base this by walking around Ertec and WTGS and all these yeah. these industry trade shows, and the proliferation of of software companies that are building these models based on AI and other stuff. It's huge. There's a lot of people out there, but it's sort of coming back to the the roots of the business of garbage in, garbage out. That if you don't have any real information, you're only inferring. So I think we're starting to see more. It's not just Cortex; it's other companies with, you know, you know, information at the bit. You know, trying to figure out, you know, pseudo seismic stuff and or sonic stuff. Um, they're they're willing to try it, and they are trying it. Are you guys, when you log a well, are you just turning over raw data to? A client to an EMP, or do you guys help do anything with that data to interpret it, or you know, find ways to manipulate the data? Are you on my sales team? I can be. <laughs> <laughs> I you, want, you, want, you want to make some sales? I can do it. <laughs> <Let's go. laughs> no, <laughs> I appreciate the question, but now we, you know, since Cordex became Cordex in '96, really the first couple of years was really focusing on improving the mechanics, the deployment, the reliability, the the data quality. Does our density look like a wireline density? And the answer to all that is yes. And our ops guys have done a fabulous job of going from, you know, sometimes I'd send crews out and I would just pray, um, <laughs> to now I send crews out and it's going to work. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a very reliable system. Last... Two and a half, three years, we've really been focusing on answering the question to the operators of, okay, that's swell, you know, you got data, what do we do with it? And so we have really positioned it as a, a package where we go out and we provide the open hole log data, which we do provide the, the raw data. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of the bigger operators, they, they have giant machines that take that data and do stuff with it. <laughs> Um, a lot of the independents are like, okay, help me, and, yeah. which is what we love to do on both sides. Mm -hmm. But it's we've created um, an entire geoscience group that we're focused on what do we do with the data, both on the geologic side, which we've created some tools that help on the whole just basic formation analysis, to the completion side where we do a full um, rock mechanics evaluation, and we have built a program in-house that um, really helps with um, designing optimized completions. And I, I stress optimize because whoever's on this podcast, you know, <laughs> if you if you say the word engineered completions, the completions guys run and scream and hide. Yeah. Um, so, and I was guilty that I was part of the team that created the word engineer completions. Um, so now I'm eliminating that from the vocabulary. <laughs> so it's optimized. So it's how do you take what you're doing, add some some brains to it, and make it better. Yeah. That's, that's what we're here for. Well, you know, 2020, I think, you know, it's going to be a tough year for everyone. And I think EMPs are going to have to look at how – you know, one, they can become more efficient to get a higher ROI from any of their, you know, I mean, all these companies are 
going to be cutting back their capex right and so they need to yeah. be able to squeeze out any amount of value that they can so it definitely seems like technologies like these can help them um you know achieve that and we're you know the hardest thing in this business is to get a library of of real validations mm-hmm. you know one you have to have a client that will release the data mm-hmm. and they'll give you the frac information and they'll give you the production data and they'll let you publish it mm-hmm. you know, the <laughs> the the odds of that happening are you know Slim. here we are back to less than one percent yeah but it's uh you know it's it's not easy but we we have over the last three years you know creative validations where by doing this, we can reduce frat costs. We can eliminate or help eliminate or at least reduce screen outs. Yeah. Um, which are huge in yeah. the completion world. Um, we can improve cluster effectiveness. And if you do that, you know, the, the assumption is, you know, you can extend out this whole decline issue. And maybe, you know, it's eight months out, not four months out. Mm-hmm. And and maybe over time you can drain more of the reservoir. And, yeah. Uh, and the other thing I've had some conversations with some big operators that they've got whole groups looking at this whole notion of refracts. And I've talked to them. It's like, how do you design refracts if you don't have any information? Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> so it's it's evolving. Yeah, I used to do refracts when I ran expandable casing and we'd do some refract liners and, you know, back then it was just kind of free for all, you know, if they didn't run one of, run one of our liners, you know, they'd do a cement squeeze and then just, you know, right. shoot and pray, hope, hope that it goes. And it's always just been that just kind of wild West cowboy seeing if it works. So that's exactly right. And uh, the point you brought up and which is something I bring up in all the presentations that you know, relative, I mean, we're not free, but, you know, relative to other ways of of coming up with these answers where, you know, low percentage points of the other people's total cost. Mm-hmm. And, but at the same time, if, if we can incrementally reduce frat costs, we can incrementally improve cluster effectiveness, we can incrementally improve production, our ROI for that little investment of what we do is off the charts. Mm-hmm. And I always say, if you don't get a positive ROI, don't do it. Yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah. That's it, who would? <laughs> you know, why but if we can come in and say, you know, whatever the number is, you know, we charge you 50 grand and you make back 500. Why not? Yeah. Well, guys, this is uh, really interesting from a former wireline hand. I appreciate the technology. I think it's cool. Where can guys find you at if they're listening and they want to check it out? The website's Cordex.com, right? It's Cordex.com. Don.Herman at Cordex.com will find me. Blow his email up. It just blows. And just so you guys know, we'll put it in the show notes, but it's spelled C-O-R-D-A-X.com. So appreciate y'all coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks you so much for the time. Of course. Enjoyed it. All right, guys, if you'll take two seconds, scroll down to those show notes. There's a link in there. It says rate this podcast. There's a link to the URL, rate this podcast forward slash digital wildcatters. That's a really, really easy way to give us a rating review. Obviously, it needs to be five stars 100% of the time. So uh, take two seconds, uh, leave us a rating review, forward us to your friends. Hope you guys enjoyed this show, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Come, 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 come.